Hi, my name is Stuart and it's a pleasure to welcome you here to St Ninian's in Stonehouse. We're glad that you have chosen to join us today from wherever you find yourself. Just a couple of quick reminders. The first is that the tickets for the hampers are still on sale. You can get those from the website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk Just click the picture of the hampers on the front page and it will take you to the shop. You can choose how many entries you want and then go to the checkout. Just click the PayPal button and then you'll be able to pay with a card. We're going to draw the prizes on Good Friday so that we can deliver the hampers in time for Easter Sunday. Our final Lent study is on Thursday evening at 7.30pm on Zoom. Details of how to join are on the screen, on our Facebook page and on the website. Next week is Palm Sunday and so we begin our journey through Holy Week. The plan at the moment is to post short services each day and for us to join for communion on Zoom on Thursday evening at 7.30pm. There will also be a recorded version of that service for those who can't join us at that time. Finally, for now, I want to talk a bit about opening the church. I want to be very clear that we're still in lockdown and under a stay-at-home restriction. A dispensation has been made for churches to meet from Palm Sunday under the same restrictions that applied before the lockdown. That's up to 50 people present, wearing masks, sitting two metres apart and no singing. The reality for us under these restrictions is somewhere between 24 and 50 people, probably around 30, depending on how people come, whether they come as an individual or with family members. We've decided not to open yet. We realise that many of you are desperate to get back to church and I promise that we are actively working towards this. The Kirk Session will meet tomorrow to talk about our plans, but we didn't feel that it would be right to open for Easter with only a few of the congregation able to join together. Stay-at-home restrictions will be lifted on the 2nd of April. And at that point we go back into level 4 restrictions. It's very important that you understand that. We will still be in the highest level of the tiered restrictions, at least for a while. That will hopefully change on the 26th of April when we will move down to either tier 2 or tier 3 if levels of the virus have fallen far enough. The next government review after that point is on the 17th of May. The Kirk Session will carefully consider at which point we feel it would be right and safe to reopen the church for worship. In the meantime, I also wanted to let you know that even when we do reopen for worship, this online worship will continue. So let's join together in worship. This week, I'm joined by Emma, who will read for us, and Sarah, who will lead us in prayer. John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, 
but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Spring is in the air. The days are getting longer. The world is waking up from its winter sleep and the sun has even come out. One of the paradoxes of Lent though is that it seems to be the opposite to what we experience each day as our journey towards the cross seems to become darker and darker each week. You can almost feel all the light and colour being sucked out of the story. This is the moment in John's Gospel when the darkness really starts to gather. John's story of Jesus is a book of two halves and we find ourselves at a crucial moment today. The hinge that holds together Jesus' ministry in what we call the book of signs and that long section of teaching towards the end known as the farewell discourse. It's just after Palm Sunday in the story. Jerusalem is mobbed. People are there from all over the world for Passover. We read that some Greeks have come to see Jesus. And the assumption is that these are not Jews, and that's important to the story, but we'll get to that in just a minute. The Greeks find Philip, because Philip is a Greek name. That bit always made me smile. It's what we do when we find ourselves somewhere strange, isn't it? We look for something familiar. I still remember the first time we went abroad taking our caravan to France with our friends. The caravans were packed with food because, well, you never knew if you would be able to buy exotic things like mints and tea bags in France. The first shop we went into had Tetley tea bags and iron brew. On that same holiday, we laughed as my mum tried to order four candy flosses from a stall on the beach with her very, very limited French. And when she'd paid, she said, thank you, in English. And the stall holder said, you're welcome. It turned out he was from Manchester. The Greeks do what we all do. They look for something familiar, a way in, a point of shared understanding. Philip is a name they know, so he's the one they speak to. And Philip goes to Andrew, and then the pair of them go to Jesus. Um, Jesus, there's some Greek people here who would like to meet you. Would that be okay? They're just over there. It'll only take a minute. It's a pretty straightforward request, isn't it? It must have been the kind of thing the disciples would be really familiar with by now. People would want to see Jesus, to speak to him, to ask for healing or blessing or just out of curiosity. 
I'm not sure what they thought Jesus would say. Maybe, sure, send them over, or perhaps, well, not just now, I'm busy with some other stuff. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Sorry? What? Where did that come from? What on earth is Jesus talking about, and what has changed? How does he know it's time? It's the Greeks. I told you they were important. Jesus' mission is to the whole world. John's Gospel told us that last week in chapter 3, that most famous of verses, John 3.16, For God loved the world so much. Not some of the world, not just a few people in a particular place, not just people who are a particular colour or speak a particular language or what other limits we might want to put on that love. With the arrival of the Greeks, the world is here. The news about Jesus has spread beyond local gossip and made it to the world at large. And the world has come to see him. And that means it's time. But time for what? Time for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's an idea we've come across before. There's a story where Jesus takes Peter and James and John up a mountain and is transfigured, shining, revealed in all his glory. Glory means true nature. It's time for the people to see who Jesus really is and to understand what this is all about. I said earlier this is a hinge moment where we move from one part of the story to another. We might call it a crucial moment. A moment where the plot turns, where a decision is made that takes things down a particular path. Did you know that crucial comes from the word crux? It's Latin. It means cross. The literal meaning of crucial is cross-shaped. And this is certainly a cross-shaped moment. Jesus is tying it all up, summarising his teaching. You lot, it's decision time again. Will you follow me? Will you risk all? Are you willing to put down your life and lead a different one? And in laying down my life, like a seed falling to the ground, more will grow. But Jesus has only just entered Jerusalem in a bizarre technicolour palm parade of hosannas. And with just a few words, we've turned to something completely different. Jesus knows there's a choice to be made. He knows he could turn away. But the route to the the cross is his choice. One final act of service. And here at the crucial moment, at the point in which Jesus could call the whole thing off, a voice speaks from heaven. Confirmation. God says, I have glorified your name and I will glorify it again. Now is the time of judgment for this world. Things are going to be different. Remember, a while ago we spoke about some other language used in trials. Confession, the telling of truth and repentance changing the way of your thinking. Judgment is about separating things into categories, right from wrong, truth from lies, light from darkness. That happens so that the things that we don't need, the things that cause us problems, the things that get in the way, the things that separate us from God, those things, the darkness, as John calls it, they can be taken away so that we're left only with the good, the true and the right so that we can live in the light. 
The powers of darkness will be driven out. The world will be transformed. And the world was transformed. And it still is being transformed. All of it. Every single day. Here's the thing we often miss about ideas like judgment. We think that judgment happens once, like in a trial. The judge hears the evidence and makes a decision, guilty or not guilty, or here in Scotland, the often controversial opinion of not proven, which means, well, you probably did it, but there isn't quite enough evidence to meet the burden of proof. And that's it. Judgment has been made. Or we make a judgment. This or that, left or right, we choose, and that's it, judgment made. But ask anyone who's been judged or who has had to judge and that's all of us in some way or another and not one person will tell you that that judgment is a one-time thing. The judgment lives with you forever. Both the good decisions and the bad they're a reminder, a challenge, a warning but all of them are an ongoing opportunity to keep changing every day, to be better, to strive to be more like Jesus. Church is supposed to transform us by reminding us of that challenge and that opportunity. Preaching this bit the sermon is supposed to be a transformative event. You and I are supposed to be changed by this. I'm supposed to say something that makes you stop in your tracks, makes you rethink something, makes your heart burn or your mind explode with possibilities. And to be honest, that's a lot of pressure. And there are some weeks where I know that I don't nearly live up to that task. So I'm glad that I'm just a small part of that process. I'm glad that something else, something much bigger than me is at work. My job is to introduce you to God and then get out of the way, to plant a seed. But that's your job too. The challenge of this story is that transformation happens when people, the Greeks in the story, see Jesus for who he really is in all his glory. How will that happen if Philip and Andrew or people like you and me don't bring other people to meet him? How will they see? How will they realise? So what holds us back from that? What is it we're afraid of? What permissions do we need granted? What confirmation do you need? The voice from heaven was for our benefit. He is the one. The time has come for things to change. What is it you're waiting for? Have mercy on us, O God. According to your loving kindness and your great compassion, hear our prayers. We pray for the whole church, all the people of God, all who respond to the call of Jesus, follow me. Wash us through and through and cleanse us from our sins. We pray for our nation, for all the nations of the earth, and for all who govern and judge. Purge us from our sin, and we shall be pure. We pray for those who hunger, those who thirst, those who cry out for justice, those who live under the threat of terror, and those without a place to lay their heads. May they hear the joy and gladness that those who are broken may rejoice. 
We pray for those who are ill, those in pain, those under stress and those who are lonely. Give them the joy of your saving help and sustain them with your bountiful spirit. Create us in your clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. We pray for those who have been bereaved. Give them your comfort and peace. Lord Jesus, you taught your disciples that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. As we prepare our hearts to remember your death and resurrection, grant us the strength and wisdom to serve and follow you this day and always. Amen.
Jesus is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. So with that confidence and in that hope, let us go out in peace to love and serve the Lord all the days of our lives. We go with the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit with us this day and forevermore. Amen.